Recently, MITRE and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency released the open-sourced extension of MITRE's Caldera platform specifically for operational technology. This is meant to be utilized by security teams to run automated adversary emulation exercises that are specifically focused on threats to operational technology. I got the chance to speak with two of the people who helped build it. Alex Reniers is chief of the Industrial Control Systems section within CISA's Cybersecurity Division. And John Wonder is department manager of CTI and adversary emulation for the MITRE Corporation. You'll hear from John first. MITRE has been working for a few years on something called Caldera. Caldera is our open source adversary emulation platform. Adversary emulation is basically a practice of emulating or pretending to be adversaries on a system or network in order to kind of evaluate our defenses against that. So if we can pretend to be an adversary, we can say, okay, well, you know, I used the techniques and behaviors that these adversaries really use, and here's how my defenses did. And then that can help us as defenders kind of better understand how we can improve those defenses and kind of train against them and develop new capabilities for defenses and things like that. And kind of traditionally, Caldera has been more of an enterprise system. We use it on our enterprise systems and networks and things like that. But through this partnership with CISA, through our Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute, we've developed these new capabilities on top of Caldera called Caldera for OT or Caldera for Operational Technology that kind of extends the Caldera capabilities to also include emulation of attacks on operational technology networks and industrial control systems. All right. And so, Alex, obviously, critical infrastructure, the protection of their IT systems has been at the forefront of a lot of what CISA has been trying to push forth. What role did the agency play in creating this and how will you be promoting it? I guess, will you be encouraging folks to use this tool? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, we've supported it in kind of two facets, one of which is we've funded part of it. Obviously, there are other participants, other stakeholders involved, and other partners between Wired and SETI and funding Caldera. But as far as the OT plugins, uh, another way we've supported it is using our control environment laboratory resource or seller. Seller is essentially we take uh, control systems environments, we shrink them down to the size of a ping pong table, but we try to emulate the processes as much as possible. So we'll have physical hardware in there, physical components, software components that you would see in a control systems environments to include the uh, protocols that they use as well. And so what we've done is one of our flagship service offerings within Seller, uh, we do what's called simulated engagements where we'll bring in defenders. We'll have our live red team, which is our MITRE Hassetti team uh, as well. Uh, They'll execute a number of actions in the environments and our blue team from from the IT side all the way through the OT side. Our blue team participants, the defenders, uh, they have to track and identify and report that behavior to what we refer to as the white cells of the quote, quote, owner and operator, which is us. And so in that process and developing the scenarios and conducting a number of simulated engagements, MITRE has said he's really gotten a good taste of like what works in those environments and also to expand and improve upon those plugins for the Caldera OT tool. And John, in order to emulate an attack on OT, what changes did you have to make to the original Caldera system? You can be as specific as you'd like, but in layman's terms, if you can. <laughs> <laughs> So really, we were building on top of Caldera. So we were adding these new capabilities. And specifically, what we're doing is developing, I would say, like protocol emulations. So on industrial control systems or in operational technology, these systems are like talking to each other using protocols. So they're sending data back and forth between each other. And so basically, what we've done is added these plugins to Caldera that let us speak that language. Some of those specific protocols are things like BACnet or DMP3 or Modbus. And basically by giving Caldera the ability to speak these languages, we can then say, okay, well, now we can interact with these systems in a way that Caldera couldn't before. 
Okay. And so who is this for? You know, what specific kinds of critical infrastructure, um, water treatment plants, things of that nature that we think of? Or is this more of for folks that may not even be on the actual site of, you know, what you're trying to protect? Yeah. So by open sourcing it, we're trying to obviously to reach as, as broad an audience as possible. And I think obviously our main target, especially is CISA, who we want to help the most is, is actual owner and operators and hopefully their security teams to adopt and use this tool in a safe practice environment. We, we're certainly not encouraging you to practice this in a live production environment. Perhaps you have a localized test range or something that you can use to, to do this and improve your, your, your defenses. That's obviously one of our primary targets for folks. And also we've used it also internally for our own teams as well. So we have hunt teams, we have DOD CPT teams, Coast Guard teams that have come through in Cellar. We've used Caldera for that to help them practice their response efforts and their threat hunting detection efforts uh, in these OT environments. So it's really a wide, broad audience of folks uh, that we're trying to reach both internally and externally to CISA. And how important is being able to actually emulate these attacks with you know, guarding a modern critical infrastructure, you know, Alex, if you can just describe on how helpful it can be rather than, you know, just absolutely. kind of putting up walls, you're actually showing where those walls weaknesses are. Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical, uh, especially in the sense that to have a desired effect in a control systems environment uh, that you are, you as the adversary trying to enact, it, there's a lot of sophistication behind that. Uh, and I think more and more, unfortunately, more and more nation states, not more and more nation states, but key nation states that we're very keen on, uh, are putting more and more resources into improving their capabilities to do this. As the barrier to entry into doing this lowers, so too then you have the number of folks that are willing and wanting to do this. So whether it be a nation state actor or a cyber criminal actor doing ransomware, I think the, the impetus is on the defenders to really uh, step up their game. And I think that's where CISA and our partnership with MITRE and, and various other FFRDCs, that's really what we're trying to do is, is help out the defenders as much as possible. And John, how do you make sure that these attacks that you're emulating are up to date themselves? Uh, you know, Alex just laid out how the bad actors are always looking for new ways to infiltrate. Um, how do you make sure that these attacks are genuine? So one of the things we do is really we stay oriented on the adversary and we look at reporting called cyber threat intelligence about like what adversaries are doing. That includes both on the enterprise side, how are they attacking IT systems and networks? And even really on the OT side, there's thankfully fewer attacks to OT that we see reported publicly, but there aren't none. And we can kind of look at what those attacks look like. And then that's how we emulate our attacks is basically by repeating that. And we do a little bit also of kind of pivoting from that and saying, you know, if adversaries are typically doing this, they're probably or likely to also do that. And then therefore we can kind of emulate that as well. And I think that's also the added benefit of keeping it as an open source project is you now have other people partnering on it with you and, and their exchange information and MITRE has just been wonderful as far as, you know, engaging those folks in those repositories, the GitHub repositories, et cetera. So having an open source gives us that advantage of people contributing to expanding the project. Yeah, and to Alex's point, we um, partnered with CISA initially on some of these capabilities. We're partnering with others and have some internal research as well just to kind of keep this moving across the whole community. And I thank you, gentlemen, for providing a good segue to my next question, which was, what are you hearing from the actual users of this tool? Are they satisfied or are they saying, hey, you know, it could have some more teeth? It obviously depends, right? I think, and I'm going to speak squarely for we use it for in Cellar. There's probably other things I think uh, John could better speak to, but I'll speak squarely to how we've been using it in our Cellar environment. All the participants that we've had come through, which I think is about 15, 15 roughly at this point since FY22 to now overwhelmingly positive. I think when you have your very well-advanced, well-structured teams, obviously they want a little bit more, but the ability to have this environment in an OT test range, an operational technology test range, to have this ability to plug in, connect, be near components and controllers in a safe space 
is incredibly rare. So being able to have this tool, Caldera OT, and also the seller test range, it provides our participants a very unique opportunity to experience essentially what you call live, live fire uh, in a safe environment. We've had utility uh, owner operators come through. We've had a few utilities come through. Like I said, DOD CPT teams, our Coast Guard teams, our own internal folks, and overwhelmingly positive. Obviously, there's always other areas to improve upon, but overwhelmingly pretty positive. I would say one of the biggest expansions we're looking at is just like, what is the set of protocols and therefore what's the set of target infrastructure that this can operate on? You know, we've kind of kicked this off with three, but obviously, or maybe not obviously, like different sectors have very different types of infrastructure and controllers and things like that. And, you know, the capability to operate on an electric grid is going to be very, very different than to operate on um, water treatment or chemical manufacturing or something like that. And so all of those things require different capabilities in Caldera for OT just because those environments are so different and they use different protocols and different controllers and things like that. Alex, I'm an OT operator who's listened to this interview and is trying to see if the tool can work for me. How do I get in touch with you guys? I think we would point them to the, uh, the GitHub page. Is that right, John? Yep. Probably the easiest way is search for Caldera for OT um, on your search engine. You can also go to github.com slash MITRE slash Caldera dash OT. John Wonder is Department Manager of CTI and Adversary Emulation for the MITRE Corporation. You also heard from Alex Reniers, who is Chief of the Industrial Control System Section within CISA's Cybersecurity Division. Find this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture. Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective. We get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, 
Excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Now. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down, so I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program. 
that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting and said, go ahead and I want to hear from you. And I realized in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way. And I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So 
one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.